0: Hi, this is Paul, and you're listening to a special mini session from our Next Up event that we hosted during the Arroyo Seco Weekend Music Festival in Pasadena. In this episode, we speak with Mimi Zeiger, LA based architecture critic, writer, and curator. Our conversation focuses mostly on architecture journalism and tiny houses. Okay, we're here with Mimi to kick off the Arroyo Seco weekend music festival. Next up, Archonnect Sessions. It's an incredibly long title. Great to have you back. We've uh, spoken with you many times before, and you've been a longtime friend of Archonnect. So welcome.
1: Thank you, Paul and Nick. I'm really happy to be here. It's a lovely day in Pasadena.
0: A little, little hot, I think. A little muggy. But it's not too bad here in, in uh, the beautiful pavilion designed by Bureau Spectacular. We've got a nice breeze and shade and and a fan, so it's. Uh,
1: You've got lots of fans around here taking pictures of the pavilion as oh, well.
0: I know it's like it's like we're the Kardashians in here or something. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's I not wish <laughs> I wish I wish this was live streamed. It's just it's crazy. Okay, so a lot of people are going to be listening to us for the first time. A lot of non architects. So maybe we can uh, just jump back. You studied architecture.
1: I studied architecture ages ago, but I did a couple degrees in architecture, and then I founded a small magazine about architecture. And that, through many sort of layers of interests in writing and whatnot, ended up being an architectural critic rather than an architect. And that—that's sort of where it takes me to today. And that
0: magazine was that, Loud that, Paper. That Loud Paper, and it was started in 1997.
1: 1997, around the same time that you guys started, from the same sort of a sort of amoebic <laughs> juice that was at uh, CyArk and in Los Angeles at the same time. Sort of all the punk rock art architecture junk that was in the air over in uh, Marina del Rey.
0: So there must have been something in the air in 1997. What was it that got you started with loud paper? What was the impetus?
1: You know, it's interesting that we're sitting in like a pavilion in a music festival. This kind of stuff wasn't really happening in relationship to architecture in the late 90s. But my interest was in the sort of intersection of all of these different pieces of culture. And I thought that Zine Culture, a small magazine, self-produced, on the cheap, was actually closer to expressing my ideas in architecture than, say, making a building. So I was really wanting to combine music. We would have ads from, like, Discord Records, but then we'd also have, like, advertisements from, like, MIT Press. So, like, how do we blend the high and the low together into one thing that sort of expresses my interest in architecture and design and music and art, but also ended up being an expression that a lot of people sort of felt akin to. And so there were people who sort of found me through the magazine and became collaborators.
0: Yeah, you know, I think um, it was a very different time back then. I mean, I think part of the reason why you started Loud Paper at that time, and part of the reason I started Archonnect um, at that same time was that there really wasn't that much of a crossover. Architecture was not very inclusive. It was a very isolated, kind of uh, introverted industry that that needed, I think, a little more outreach.
1: You know, it's funny to look back at that time because You know, there were so many outlets for architecture that did not exist. Architecture had just come through a high period of theory and various recessions. So there wasn't a lot of production. So you could either, like, make something for an architecture magazine and write for them, or you could write a monograph or for an academic journal. But if you were just generally interested in architecture, like, yeah, there was no place to find it. Around the same time that I think we were cooking— out came um, the first editions of wallpaper. And I think that also, for me, was a real revelation. And Dwell magazine, a little bit after that, that there was a moment, or sort of maybe a five-year period, where it went from being sort of zero to sixty. An
0: F magazine at SIR. F
1: magazine at SIR. Well,
0: not not really magazine. Pure zine.
1: Pure like pamphlet zine manifesto that a lot of a lot of us were involved in in a, like various ways.
0: <laughs> so. Architectural media has evolved immensely in the last 20 years since these beginnings for good and bad, in my opinion. How would you describe the evolution in architectural journalism and media and uh, just dissemination?
1: (laughs) The whole, the whole arc of it. I mean, I think one of the things that I feel the most heartened by, which is also something I think some people also are very critical of, is the amount of architectural journalism that's out there. Um, The ability for someone who came, you know, sort of out of school and had an idea about something to now tweet it or write a blog post or get in contact with, you know, Arcanet and like write a guest post that the various platforms for having discourse have really opened up and expanded. And then also like DIY publishing has had a resurgence because of the ability to do print on demand, because of the way that, you know, everyone sort of is now born being able to do layout. And so the amount of production is really high. That doesn't necessarily mean the content is always high, but I I think that's okay. I am more of a favor of like, let's make a lot of stuff and let the good stuff curate itself versus like, let's make a few little things and make that very precious and have gatekeepers who control what goes in and out.
0: Do you feel like architecture is suffering from the same problems that news and journalism and media in general are suffering from in in that it's we're finding that it's human nature to kind of get quick snippets of of information to look at really beautiful pictures and to kind of lose the time that previously we would spend kind of digging into deeper, more thoughtful analysis.
1: You know, there has always been places for really beautiful pictures. (laughs) you know you could go to an architectural digest from you know like 1974 and look at beautiful pictures or you could go to uh, oppositions but i think yes we want to look we're we're visual it's a visual culture of architecture and design so we want to look at sort of the beautiful things i don't really have a problem with that i don't i I wouldn't call that criticism like in the sense that like if someone posted a photo a series of photos and a sort of a augmented press release like I wouldn't say that's architectural criticism. I would say that that's like PR journalism and like there's a place for that.
0: And a lot of demand for it.
1: Yeah, and a lot of demand for it. But at the same time, um, I think there is a growing demand for reflection on where we are where we are in architecture culture in relationship to the larger world at all. Uh, and I think that we can't ignore that and it may require finding certain kinds of voices and ways into it. And that is sort of a smaller audience than say for the like, beautiful pictures but I think it's still important
0: yeah it feels like we're still in the beginning of this um rediscovery of of how to express architecture through media and through the through the new media that we have jumping off to a topic unrelated to what we're talking about but very much related to where we are right now this project by bureau spectacular we're going to be talking with him later today to talk more about this, exactly what this is but in my the way i see it is it's a kind of an abstract expression of a, a southern california house small mm-hmm. you've written a lot of books and done a lot of research in tiny homes where did that interest come from and and uh, are you still investigating that?
1: I began a work on tiny houses when I lived in a small studio apartment in New York. And it seemed like a very logical sort of way to look at the world was through our reductive nature. You know, it was 2008, eight, two thousand. Nine, when I started the Tiny House book, it was also a time where there was like a crashing of the economy and people needed to reduce their footprint. And so the McMansion of the Sun Belt was no longer something that was sustainable. So the Tiny House movement really wasn't a reaction to a lot of that. Some of it had been going on before, but its an embrace came with a kind of socioeconomic condition and it's continued
2: onward from there. So in pavilions like this, there kind of contra what you're saying earlier about when you were starting off at CyArk, where there's this very hermetic architectural culture we see pavilions like this that really kind of become a public interface with architecture and in a way that's similar to your role as a critic and curator do you feel a responsibility to kind of communicate what architecture is today to the public and how would you do that how do you do that how do you approach that
1: Gosh, I've never thought of it as a responsibility per se. It's almost uh, sort of more instinctual than that, like that I am interested in something and I want to share that something with the world at large. And I've always felt that I act as a translator between, yeah, the kind of inside baseball of architectural culture and the kind of language and jargon and vocabulary that goes with that and the outside world, which actually sometimes just really wants to know, like, what the hell is that thing? Uh, You know, someone came by today and it's like, what is this? And, you know, it's a little shelter. And it has all sorts of other layered meanings that as you sort of understand fine art or you understand architectural history, begin to express themselves. But it's not necessary that you understand all of the winks in order to sort of enjoy a place in the shade,
2: Mm-hmm, definitely. So we're in this moment right now, where once again, kind of in distinction to the like '90s culture, late '90s culture, architecture and art are very close. I mean, the distinction between this pavilion as art object or as sculptural object or as architecture—it's—it's it's thin. It's—it it's, would be—it's hard to kind of declare. Is there a point where it's important to make that distinction?
1: I mean, those distinctions. Are they are they made by the critic or are they made by the practitioner? I mean, I think that comes from the question of intent, maybe, and and maybe use over time. I mean, I think about pavilions, and we were, you know, so you prepped me by saying, okay, we're going to talk about, like, festival culture and pavilion culture. And I was thinking back to, like, Ant Farm and some of their bubbles, right? And their inflatables projects, like, was that, like, art or was that architecture? They claimed it as architecture, as operating as architects. So, (laughs) you know, you kind of have to hold on to what that intent is, and then you can sort of read it one way or another. This is not in relationship to, say your Spectacular's work, but I think there's a lot of gestures within architectural culture which are coming very close to art at this point in time that actually just kind of produce bad art and not what they're, the aspiration of what they think they're getting at, sort of looking at a lot of 60s and 70s conceptual art. And that's just, Yeah.
2: Yeah, it seems like there's uh, sometimes an issue where architects enter into the art world without being aware of the conversations happening in the art world. Um, And
1: artists enter into architecture with similar blinders that they kind of go to, like, references that architects have already sort of worked through. Um, So so sort of from both sides, there's a sort of ignorance
2: Definitely.
0: So, I have uh, one final question for you. So, you got a bachelor's degree in architecture from Cornell, right? And a master's in architecture from SciArch, but you don't actually practice architecture. I don't. Would you have done it differently knowing what you do? Or do you feel like that was the right uh, academic path for you to support what, what you're doing as a professional?
1: You know, I have such love of architecture, like it started even when I was a kid that I don't think I could have taken a different path. Cornell, uh, I had done like the summer in architecture program at Cornell and I, absor- you know, it was a very Texas Rangers, a little bit of Haydeck, some Ungers floating around Colin Rowe in the room, you know, like all of these things I didn't really know. I just sort of ended up at Cornell and I had a fantastic education. Uh, and when I graduated, I ended up working for a little bit and then wanting to go back to school. By then, I thought, so you can laugh. I thought I was going to do design build, and I wanted to go to SciArc to learn how to weld. And I didn't learn how to weld. I was terrible at shop. There was like so many. Such a good shop. I have such a good shop. And I was totally intimidated by the shop, but I was also drawn to the people who were. More sort of on the sort of writing and the discursive side. We had Margaret Crawford, historian, Kazise Varnellis as a mentor, John Chase, who was we were just mentioning, who is a writer, a iconoclast, urban planner for West Hollywood at one time. Um, you know, all of these people became sort of where I was gravitating towards when I really just didn't even know how to use like the bandsaw.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks,
1: Paul. This is awesome.
0: Thank you. Always great to see you. Thanks for listening to this mini session. For more information about this show and other shows from this series, check out Archinect.com. I'd like to thank all of our guests, especially Jimenez Lai and Joanna Grant of Bureau Spectacular for creating the beautiful structure for this event. I'd also like to express our gratitude to Golden Voice, especially Rafi Lair, for encouraging a public discussion about architecture and urban design and for including us in this amazing inaugural event.